This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and we have a special episode for um, our clients. So normally we have a new client podcast, and then we have kind of an OG podcast for people that have been around for quite some time. And for the holidays in general that we're all kind of facing and experiencing at the same time, I thought it'd be fun to ask Susan um, if she would come on and, and answer a few questions. And so we have uh, basically three people. We have Becky Avara, who is the, the lead coach here at Eat Perform. We have Carolyn Mele, who is basically coach superstar. And then we have Dr. Susan Kleiner. So um, should be should be fun. And Susan, can you walk people through how they can find you and the things that they may be interested in and what you put out there? Sure, I'd love to. Thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am a high performance nutritionist. My I'm the owner and founder of High Performance Nutrition LLC. You can find me uh, at my website at drskleiner.com or drsusankleiner.com, either one. And uh, my books, uh, which range from uh, power, the new power eating to the good new diet uh, and several others can be found on my website. You can also uh, get them at any of your bookstores that you know of online or in person. And I am on Facebook and Instagram uh, and Twitter at Power Eat. And on Facebook, it's Dr. Susan Kleiner. So I don't think we've ever done this. So I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing to do. Um, I know not everyone you want to kind of let know who you've worked with or worked with in the past, but you've worked with some pretty big names, right? Um, can you give like maybe the short list of people that you've worked with that you know, pretty much everyone's going to know the people that you have worked with. So uh, you know that I am quite, um, it's not just humble. Uh, I'm under HIPAA regulations about oh. sharing uh, unless the person who's been a client has talked about me or, um, or has given me permission. And so in my books, you'll see that I sometimes give names, sometimes I give anonymous stories, the most recent, probably very famous couple, power couple that I've worked with are Sue Bird um, from the WNBA Seattle Storm and Megan Rapino from uh, the, the, our US women's soccer team, as well as the um, OL Reign. Uh, so both Washington State teams, but I have worked with elite athletes at all levels of sport, um, uh, professional sports teams from the NFL, NBA, MLB, um, hockey, uh, you know, everything that you can think of. And of course, WNBA and uh, the WNSL, but also um, any average person who wants to do better and, and accomplish peak levels of performance in their life, in their work, uh, wherever that may be. And so uh, the bar of entry into my practice is that you have to be somebody who exercises and exercises regularly. And that could be walking your dog every day, a good long walk. But um, 
because I am number one, a sports nutritionist, but also what charges my batteries are uh, sustainable lifelong changes. If you don't exercise, my experience is that if I give you a diet and it's usually for weight loss, as you all know very well, um, it's usually a diet that people are expert at going on and then going off and then finding the next thing and the next thing. Whereas if you start to have an active life, uh, you are now in a different body and a different brain and you can accomplish things that you never thought you could or would. And then you are more than ready typically to make nutritional changes. And so, so that's really the foundation of what I do. Anybody who wants to achieve peak performance in mind and body is someone that I can work with from elite athletes to everyday people. And I'm pretty sports agnostic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because you said to me in one of our podcasts a while ago that I think was probably the most um, is, is really the best advice, you know, not that I didn't know it, but because, you know, the way that you described it, it was, it was really, um, enlightening, right. Is that, um, if you want to lose weight, you can lose weight without activity. In fact, I would argue it might even be easier, right. But the problem that you run into, and this is, you know, I just wanted to remind people because it's so important is that if you want to keep that weight off, then exercise and staying active plays a really big role. And scientifically, there's just tons of literature out there that talks about that. And so one of the things that sort of frustrates me, and I'm sure it frustrates all of the coaches here on the call, is the, the companies that openly sell against the idea of, of activity which I think um, is, you know, really trying to sell people on the lowest bar possible. And I think you're right is, and this was my path, right? My path, I started with walking, you know, and, and gradually moved to hiking and then started to, you know, move on from there. And so um, I, I, I thought that that would be one of the best ways to start the podcast. And so Carolyn, if you could walk through uh, some of the questions. Now, Susan, um, because some of this is a little specific to eat and form, we'll read the question. And then if it, you know, may not make sense to you, I'll try to translate it. Okay. Okay, so Susan Cleary's asking, I finished fat loss one and two and newly in AP, weight loss of 35 pounds. In addition to increasing exercise, what can I do to improve my blood cholesterol in triglycerides? Oh, nope. well, go ahead. Follow no, you're, you, it doesn't need a qualifier. <laughs> so um, there's, you know, weight loss is a big part. Exercise is a big part and the kind of exercise that you do. In fact, um, just as kind of a segue from Paul's conversation, the data that we have, metadata over, oh, 30 plus years now, going back to research that started at the Cooper Clinic by Dr. Stephen Blair back in the 80s, shows that without diet at all, if overweight 
or obese people start to become physically active in a regular exercise program, they will improve their health parameters, meaning your blood pressure, your cholesterol levels, your blood sugar levels, you will improve those more than if you just went on a highly restricted weight loss diet and did not exercise. So, so it is fascinating to see that data. And so if health is a goal, which clearly it is for you, um, you have done a marvelous job following me to perform and the, the clear blending of uh, what, what the program does, which really has a mission for health as an underlying goal, even when people come in and say, I wanna lose weight, you know, the, the question is often why? And very, you know, very many people, the bottom line is because I wanna be healthier. And so if health is really the goal, then it is exercise. So that is one really important part. Now, what are the tricks that you can do with your diet? What things can you um, um, really look at? Well, <clears throat> one of the things that we know is fiber. And so um, starting to move toward a more plant-based diet, I am not saying cut out animal proteins at all. I'm saying increase your plants. And particularly the, 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 the higher fiber uh, grains and beans, these are um, clear winners when it comes to helping clear out cholesterol uh, from your, in, your um, intestinal system. Um, as you know, it, things get recycled in your gut. And so that's why fiber is so helpful. It's not just that it helps carry it out, it's that it alters the gut biome. And, and then the, the cultures in our gut will utilize some of those nutrients themselves. And so they don't get recirculated back into your bloodstream. The other things are eating the healthy fats. And so extra virgin olive oil is critically important because this is an anti-inflammatory fat and all other anti-inflammatory compounds that are again, um, plant foods are rich sources. One of the issues with risk of heart disease is not just what is your total blood cholesterol, but, and, and not just what is the bad cholesterol, which we talk about as LDL cholesterol or low density lipoprotein, it is oxidized LDL. And, and most doctors today, most labs still don't measure this, but it is associated with chronic systemic inflammation in the body. And so if you can fight inflammation, you will have a, uh, a, another tool in your toolkit to bring down the unhealthy cholesterol levels. Triglycerides, highly associated with alcohol intake, um, be aware of that. I'm sure you are. I'm sure that's that's been addressed. And, and then, um, so as I said, the healthy fats, extra virgin olive oil is particularly high in, in an anti-inflammatory compound. Um, and then just making sure that you are not, you know, you don't have a high fat diet, a high saturated fat diet, uh, which you can lose weight on it, but it's not necessarily healthy, right? And so, so that old keto, you know, diet stuff, yeah, you can lose weight on it, 
um, but because you're taking in fewer calories over time. But is it healthy? And the data is pretty clear. It's not when you have a high saturated fat intake. So that's obviously lots of, of hard fats and, and animal uh, fats. So um, that's, that's kind of, I don't think, you know, don't smoke, <laughs> which hopefully you don't, but, but all kinds of exercise and this is, and, and decreasing your stress. I mean, these are not dietary things, but they are hugely impactful because again, this trick of chronic inflammatory or chronic systemic inflammation um, and, and getting, getting that to, to reduce. And one big thing that you've done is you've lost 35 pounds. So fat is this very large pro-inflammatory organ. And I don't have to tell you about cutting out the pro-inflammatory fats because each of perform teaches you to do that already. So you, you kind of mentioned it, but I don't think people um, necessarily feel it unless they've listened to the various podcasts, but, but obviously whole grains um, is a big recommendation from you. And it's important to bring that up because there's so much information on the other side that grains are somehow bad and, and things of this nature. Um, can you just like the one minute version of which grains um, you're talking about that probably add the most? Yeah, so, so when I say whole grains, everyone in their mind goes right to bread and pasta. And, and that's not, I mean, you can get really great whole grain bread and pasta, but easier for most people than starting to do sourdough, whole, you know, fresh flour that I do in my house is to actually get the whole grains. And so, so that can be wheat berries, as simple as that. It can be brown rice, but it can be spelt. It can be farro, it can be quinoa. Um, there's so many different grains, certainly oatmeal <laughs> counts in there. And, and so um, all of these whole grains, and if you just look up a list, you will find a list that are gluten-free if you are so disposed um, to that kind of diet style. And, but you can still eat whole grains and they're super easy, easy to cook. If you know how to cook rice, you know how to cook any grain. Um, and, and, and the point of all this in a nutshell is that properly handled and not ultra processed grains are, and as the whole grain, you really are getting the original food, um, are, 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 have a, an immense amount of anti-inflammatory function in the gut, as well as feeding that important gut biome. And what we know is that worldwide, but particularly in the United States, people can have a longer, healthier quality of life if they would just add three whole grain servings a day. And so that we, we, we often talk about what do you need to take out of your diet? And I am not an anti you know, food person. I love to talk about what do you need to eat, not what you can't eat next. And so eat more whole grains. That's a big one. So I'm gonna post uh, an article that was based off the podcast that Susan and I did in the chat. So um, if you 
are listening to the podcast. The article is just called Carbs That Make You Leaner and How. So just Google Eat to Perform Carbs That Make You Leaner and How. Okay, so next question, Carolyn. Okay, Leah is asking, can you talk about your must-have kitchen staples? Maybe things that you use as building blocks for nutritious meals or things that you have always recommended clients have on hand? Yes, absolutely. Can I, can I interrupt for just one second? Um, also, once Susan leaves, I have some thoughts in addition to what she's saying. So stick around. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so, so I think in food groups, when I think about building a meal and a healthy plate, and so if we're thinking, if we're, let's start with those grains and I buy, five, there's just two of us at home these days, but I buy them by the five pounds online from many of the, the farmers themselves. That's what's been so great about COVID, frankly, is that we can access food as close to the ground as it gets from the farmers. And so here in Washington state, we do have one, but, but they're all over. They're in, in Louisiana and Florida and Texas and they're everywhere. Um, so I, I get my, I always have a selection of whole grains that range from, from quinoa and brown rice to farro and einkorn and, you know, and certainly oatmeal. Um, then if I think about, okay, what's, what's next on that, I think about starchy vegetables. And so I always have some kind of potato or winter squash during the winter. It may be yams, it may be different potatoes, it may be different, many different kinds of potatoes, little teeny ones that I like to roast, big russet potatoes that I'm going to um, bake or, or do something else with. Then of course, my staples of greens and, and vegetables. And there's a lot of different strategies for this. Um, I am a farmer's market shopper and we do have farmer's markets here year round and I go every weekend and I plan out my week. However, you should know strongly that frozen vegetables, frozen produce without anything added is much more nutritious than whatever vegetables are left at the bottom of your vegetable drawer five days after you purchase them. So, so they've been exposed to air and light and they're wilting and, and they have, they've lost a lot of nutrition. Now it doesn't mean they're bad for you, but don't think that frozen produce is less than. Today they are freezing it in the field. It doesn't even often, it's out on some big combine. Um, and so it's super fresh. Uh, and then, um, I'm a dairy girl and I can have dairy, my husband cannot. And so we always have a number of beverages. You know, I've always got 0% uh, milk and 2% milk. We've got half and half. We've got lactose-free half and half. We've got almond milk um, always in the, in the refrigerator. I have um, cottage cheese always available um, so that it is a, I know I have a good protein source. I always have cans moving to protein rich foods, cans of tuna, because fish is super important. So I have, I'm picky about my tuna, but I do have canned fish, whether it's canned salmon, canned fish, canned sardines, the things that those are my go-to so that I know that when it looks like I'm low, what am I going to do? I can, I still have good, rich protein sources as well as tofu and tempeh are pretty much staples. They can hang around 
tempeh certainly for quite a long time, tofu maybe a little less depending on how it's packaged. And I always have a, an assortment of, of dried beans um, that, I can, that I can pull on. So, so those are, and then your fruits, I have dried fruits. I have, uh, you know, it, it, fruits are gonna be very seasonal, right? And so that changes, but I do have fruits and I probably eat less fruit in the winter. Um, just because there's less fresh fruit around. So quick question, because a lot of what you said, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't have that much time to prepare meals, right? So can you give me some staples that you make within 15 minutes or maybe give the parameters of how you make them? So bowls are big in my house. And again, I have all this stuff so that I can cook it all up in the same time. So if you look on the bag and if it's just two people and you say, well, I, we don't need to cook more than a cup of farro, say, or whatever your grain is. Well, gosh, it takes the same amount of energy and the same amount of time and only a little more water or broth to, to cook two cups. And now I've either, I can freeze that if I want and, and microwave it super fast or I've got it in the refrigerator all week. And now I've got my grain and I'll have some kind of greens. Um, you can have frozen spinach, frozen collard, frozen all kinds of things that take you just moments to throw that in. You pick whatever your, your um, protein is gonna be for that day, you throw it in. It might be turkey. I mean, I'm a big sort of, it, it, my husband takes his lunch every day. And we use a lot of, I'm particularly, he loves, specifically likes boar's head turkey. Um, for many years, I didn't want to spend that money and I didn't like that stuff. And so I was cooking a turkey breast at the beginning of a week and slicing it up and everybody could take it for sandwiches. Everyone should just know, I do not love to be thinking about food all the time. This is why I plan. Yes, I'm a dietitian. But I do not want to have to be working when I'm not working, right? So I don't want to be having to, God, all this planning and cooking and doing all this. I just want to do it all in one fell swoop. And so I do. Um, uh, and, and it's not like it's this big honking thing that I do. Sometimes it's Saturday. Sometimes it's Sunday. Sometimes it's going to be Wednesday because for some reason that's a down day. I'm not rigid in anything that I do but I always make sure that I've got something that I can throw together. I am not a gourmet cook. It is, what can I do quickly? And there are lots of frozen, the, the frozen things that I love are these bags that you can just throw right in the microwave, that you don't even have to take it apart and they steam right in the microwave. So, so watch for things that are good tricks. I do not typically, spend extra for things all chopped up already and, and wrapped up at the grocery store. One is they are exposed to light and nutritionally they lose something, but eating it is better than not eating it at all. So, so I don't want to discourage that. It is significantly more expensive. And I kind of, I'm kind of a stickler on that. It takes yeah, me gonna, one minute to chop it up. I was going to ask you that, like, you know, one of the conveniences that my wife and I use because we're busy throughout the day is, um, you know, we have chicken or beef cooked typically, right? So I loved your suggestion of bowls. 
Um, that's something that we do quite a and bit. There's some so great cookbooks out there to help you, if you, to guide you on making a bowl. And I'm going to be honest, just, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't use a lot of sauces ever yeah. on anything. I use extra virgin olive oil and really good balsamic vinegar and salt and pepper. So that's pretty much on everything. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't like, for instance, uh, if you look at something like teriyaki, which might be higher right, in sodium, right. or maybe even some sauces that have more calories, if if you're active, right, right. you can actually usually get away with something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, we'll use Taylor Farms, which I believe is a good nutrient dense source right. um, for salads for lunch. Right. Mm -hmm. And then just put the chicken in or whatever. I really like the suggestion with the frozen vegetables. That's something I actually could be better with. Um, you know, a lot of times, most of my stuff, I'm a big beans guy. Um, I think that a, a lot of people will hear what you just said and not use the good, better, best model. Right. And I think it's really important that you use the good, better, best model. So, like, if as an example, you, can make your own beans, that would be best, right? Um, if you can buy a whole source or something that, that's cooked, that, that might be a little bit better. Um, if you have to rely on cans. Um, Which I do that, occasionally. Yeah, that's fine. You I know, rinse it's them just, off. Yeah, it's just, a it's just a matter of fitting what works for you. You know, I know one thing, Susan, and I know Susan has to go, but she's not a huge, if it fits your macros person, right? She's a big believer in your macros should be food, right? And so what that means is, is that the whole Pop-Tart thing, Susan's not going to be a huge fan of that. She's not against it per se, right? But once again, you know, how much is a Pop-Tart really bringing to the table? Right. And actually the whole Pop-Tart thing doesn't really exist anymore. It used to be a big thing. I don't see that popping around too much, but then, you know, I'm kind of in each form world, you know, right. it's, right. it's like, it's like, I don't know what your world looks like, but I know that what we're talking about, um, we're not going to typically recommend, um, you know, foods that aren't nutritious. Um, right. And in the times where we would, you know, there would be more treats, right? And if it fits, that's fine, but it should be a small percentage. Well, I do appreciate you being here. I do have some things to add um, from the perspective of the, the questions that have been asked so far. By the way, if you haven't asked a question yet, you can still get those in. Unfortunately, Susan has to go. So we really appreciate you being here and taking the time to do that. And for those, uh, if you missed it and you're a lifetime, she will also be here on Saturday. So we appreciate you being here for that. Thanks, it's my pleasure. The last thing I wanna leave everyone with is get a good knife. <laughs> um, it is one of the most important tools for a, a healthy diet is a really good knife. It will change the amount of time it takes you to do all kinds of things and you will find that you can add you know, like I take delicata squash, I chop it up, I don't peel it, and I roast it. And I eat it with the skin on because it gets so soft. So, I mean, there, it just gives you a freedom when you have a good knife. And, and I know 
get like tools in the kitchen get get left out. Um, yeah. Knives are super important. So I I would say scissors are and scissors. Yes. The most underused. I like when talked about. Don't get talked about near enough. So. Yeah. Totally. Well, Good we, scissors. Yeah. Great. Great suggestion. All right. Well, we appreciate you being here and see you on Saturday. Thank you all. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. So I wanted to get back to um, the number one question, which ironically was asked by Susan also. So my journey, a lot of it was about getting body fat tested, but also getting my blood work tested. And so this is something I am very familiar with, especially as it relates to triglycerides. So the leaner you, so basically triglycerides, right? What they are, are free-floating fats in your bloodstream, right? And so um, the leaner you are, the better it will be, but also the more you can use it is better. And it was interesting, I was listening to this podcast and they were, the topic in discussion was um, dementia and uh, Alzheimer's in particular. And one of the things that they did was they looked at all of these blue zones, right? That have very low amounts of dementia and uh, Alzheimer's specifically. And what they found was, is that most of the villages in the blue zones, actually we have a blue zone here in Minnesota. It's actually about 90 miles from me. And uh, that specific town is very uh, much a village almost, right? Where, you know, a lot of people live really close to the town. They can walk to the grocery store. They're moving around quite a bit, very active town, things of this nature. But the thing that was most interesting that was said was um, that it's not the high intensity stuff, right? So like you've lost 35 pounds, it took a lot of work, right? Um, and a lot of the times what happens in your scenario is you're really highly motivated and you make a lot of progress, right? And then you kind of wonder like, what does it take to make even more progress, right? If there's any one thing I would tell somebody who's, as someone who's lost over a hundred pounds, right? You have to take those moments and kind of recalibrate the goals, right? It, it really is in a very real way, like a reset. And when you're resetting, you have to sort of embrace low intensity exercises specifically, right? Um, doesn't mean that you don't do hit. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't lift weights. It doesn't mean all those things, right? But it, you have to fit in this low intensity exercise. And one of the reasons why is because every single blue zone, as an example, has low intensity exercise as a huge priority and usually is the only form of exercise that a lot of people are using in that instance. So what we're talking about is walking, what we're talking about maybe light jogging, things of this nature. I think one of the things that's happened, it's a little bit less so now. Um, you know, I know when when I was doing CrossFit as an example, which is, you know, kind of one of the more popular versions of HIT though, it could be argued by me that it's not really HIT, um, not by the, by the strict term. The strict term is really all out intense at 
you know, close to 100%. And the workouts tend to be, you know, kind of four minutes, eight minutes, things of that nature. Doesn't mean that you can't have some lifting with that, maybe some low intensity work, maybe some jogging, you know, um, things of that nature. But, but true hit is really kind of at the, the highest end, right? And it's really stressful. And one of the reasons why the low intensity helps so much is one, the stress. One of the things that's interesting, um, and you guys knew it was coming, so, so don't blame me, right? But um, my wife and I play a lot of pickleball. I'm sure everybody listens to these podcasts, know this was coming, and they know a little bit of what I'm going to talk about. But one of the things that's really interesting is that, you know, I have a, a whoop. Uh, my wife has an Apple Watch. And I'm not a huge calories burn guy ironically right like as a nutrition company you would think you know the other a lot of other places hype that stuff up a lot i think it's more distracting than anything if you used it as a way of kind of calibrating how much you should be eating then i think it can be favorable in that regard right but we'll often play for two and a half to three hours and in that time, my wife can burn anywhere from 1,100 to 1,500. Like I said, Whoop doesn't calculate like that. Um, so, so it's sort of, sort of hard to figure out. I can tell you this, that most of my CrossFit workouts were around a seven strain, maybe up to 10. I'm consistently 13 to 15 with pickleball. And all that means is, is that because of the length of time, you know, you're getting kind of this long term. Now, I will say most of these these devices do favor um, cardio workouts, right? And so, so kind of keep that in mind. But, but as she was saying it, the the one thing that I could think about was keep low intensity in the mix. Doesn't mean you can't move to a little bit more. But when you lose 35 pounds, man. That's huge, right? Because now all of a sudden you actually are getting up more throughout the day. The calories burned just end up being sort of different and, and favorable in that regard. Um, the other thing that is often um, underlooked at as it relates to um, reducing triglycerides and favorably um, moving things in, in, in the direction of your cholesterol is building muscle. A lot of times when you lose 35 pounds, you know, one of the things that you'll see is that any pound over that 35 that you lost, people will freak out a little bit about. The problem is, is that um, you actually become more insulin sensitive. Insulin sensitivity is actually the opposite of insulin resistance, right? So you're, you've increased your insulin sensitivity by losing all this weight. And now all of a sudden you're starting to maybe lift weights or you're starting to do things with some intensity and potentially put on muscle in that process. You're actually, you know, you're gonna feel more energetic. You're actually getting more out of your workouts, things of this nature that potentially has the chance to build muscle, right? So now all of a sudden, you know, maybe you over six months gain five to seven pounds. Well, because you're not in a calorie deficit all the time, 
a certain amount of that is going to be muscle. Now, one of the things that people say to us all the time is like, I know it's not muscle. No, you don't. I mean, I understand what you're saying that, you know, like I'll give you an example. For me, if my abdomen gains more muscle, the fat over my abdomen become more pronounced, right? But that doesn't mean that I gained more fat than I did muscle, right? It just doesn't mean I've exposed that muscle yet, right? And so, you know, I've talked about this quite a bit because I believe that it's really, really important for everyone to understand this, that the longer the period of time that you have when you aren't dieting, and I don't know if you have additional goals, right? I kind of hope you don't, right? I, I, I sort of hope for you that um, the, you know, you've kind of hit a comfortable place and that you can not diet for a while. Um, if you still have, you know, weight to lose, you know, um, weight to lose is somewhat subjective, right? Like, like I see a lot of people, this is actually one of the things I was going to talk about. So I'll close in on it here in a bit. So I'm going to leave that alone for just a second. But I think there's a lot of people that get to a weight that is very comfortable and easy to sustain. Um, but they sort of, I, I did this. So, so I'm, as, I'm a total hypocrite when I tell you what I believe to be the truth now. But when I got close, I wanted to see what the best version of me might look like, you know? And um, as it turned out, it really wasn't. And I'll talk about that here in a second. But yeah, it's, it's just, you know, one of those things that, you know, as you're slowly building that muscle, sometimes you can sort of get focused. I mean, I, I look in the mirror sometimes and go, uh, you know, could be better. Um, usually doesn't last very long. You know, <laughs> I mean, the one thing, if I, if I can, you know, I know for Carolyn and Becky, um, you gotta love you some you, right? And And when you look in the mirror, you know, you gotta look at the things that are assets rather than the flaws, you know? And I might look at one or two things that, that are negative. I mean, I'll give you an example. So a lot of times I'll take a nap. And uh, most of the time when I take a nap, the two leanest times of the day for me are early in the morning and then after a nap, right? Um, and so usually those are real good times to look in the mirror, you know? Uh, the problem that some people have with their relationship with themselves and food is they weigh themselves after date night with four glasses of wine, right? And, and risotto and all this other type of stuff. And then they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm feeling fluffy or whatever. And then they weigh themselves in the morning and their weight's up three pounds. And so then now they avoid the scale for the next five days. But the, but the next five days was when kind of that, inflammation was leaving right and so that's why you want to have kind of that consistent information but a lot of times you know i think the diet industry does deserve a lot of um, condemnation in this regard is it sort of sets up this this problem right where you know we always end up focusing on kind of the negative piece and you know, that's really tough to talk people out of as someone that does that, 
you know, for a living, right? And I think Carolyn and Becky would agree with that, is that more often than not, many of you are doing fine, right? Um, and certainly doing a lot better than you used to be, right? Um, and then often people will come to us and they know they have a issue with, with, you know, their relationship with food. And then we start addressing the relationship with food by bringing more food in. And, you know, they don't want to take the medicine, even though they, 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 they were really, really into taking the medicine on that one day. But sometimes I think that, you know, there's this thought process that it's somehow magic, right? That, that we're going to eat more food and now all of a sudden I'm going to lose 10 pounds. It's like, well, that's not really how it works, but it does mean that as we eat more food, we can potentially lose 10 to 20 pounds that has been stuck for a while, but you do kind of have to take the medicine for a while before that can happen, right? In that process, a lot of the times what we see is that people both change their relationship with themselves and change their relationship with food, right? They've been stuck for so long and in this food prison that as you sort of open things up, now all of a sudden, you know, going to the gym and working out at 90, 95%, it's just a lot better than going to the gym and working out at 60%. If I'm playing pickleball and I'm not eating, I can only stay there for an hour and a half. If I am eating, I can stay there four hours, right? Um, so all of these things tend to be favorable. And so if you have a good relationship with food, good relationship with yourself, or working towards that, you sort of have to have to look at a pros and cons list. And one of the things with a pros and cons list, you know, and I've talked about this many times, it's like, oh, my food, my relationship with food is great. My, my sex life is, is great. When I look in the mirror, I'm really happy. Um, my kids love the fact that we get to go to ice cream. My husband loves the fact that we get to go to date night. And then the list goes on and on and on and on, but the scale's up two pounds. You, you gotta have a list to put it down on paper because no rational person looks at the left side with the pros and the only con is that the weight's up two pounds and goes, yeah, that's the thing that should dominate my life, right? And if it's dominating your life, you have to analyze, is that something you really want, right? And so um, the uh, before I get into, it's building off of that a little bit, but before I get into that, I thought it might be helpful if both my, well, all three of us um, also have staples. Because I like Susan's list, but, you know, she is a dietitian right? She's not going to tell you, you know, that, that she's eating frozen dinners, you know, not that she does, but I'm just saying, can, and, and we'll start with Becky. What are good meals? You know, you have a, a big family. Um, what are things that you whip up that are helpful? We start out our week with, um, normally we will go and we'll grill a whole lot of chicken and so that I always have chicken because I'm busy during the day and I don't have time to really cook anything but we will make uh, chicken and we always have rice 
I actually just came in earlier and I was like, somebody's making me rice <laughs> while I'm on this call. But we have the chicken and rice. And then my husband, uh, he does all the grocery shopping, but he will buy the bags of pre-made salad. And so, I mean, myself, because I'm busy, I have mostly the same things during the day. And then I switch it up at night and, you know, feed my family and whatever. But I always have eggs. I've always got tortillas because I just like tacos and things like that. But, and then I am able to, I eat quite a bit of chicken actually. And um, I also have a thing for bagels as does Paul. <laughs> I have it every morning. Me too. <laughs> um so carolyn how about you like uh I'm, I'm assuming that you don't just live on tim hortons tim hortons <laughs> and maple syrup that's it no <laughs> no uh i eat out of bowls every night i'm a bowl person too um like tonight was taco salad plus you throw in your your um rice with it to get your carbs in there uh ground meats are huge for me i work from home so I'm able to cook and I make it work in my life so I can cook, but I'm not spending more than a half hour in the kitchen. So ground meats, ground turkey, uh, extra lean ground beef, um, chicken breasts, chicken thighs are staples for me to cook um, and big batches, right? So I could even do sheet pan of veggies, throw some chicken on top and throw it in the oven, um, but nothing that's going to take a lot of time. Frozen vegetables, like Susan was saying, are very nutritious and it's something that I keep in the house because I can't stock, my fridge seems to be small, so I can't stock a lot of food. I have grown boys in my house, 18 and 19 year olds, so we need to have a lot of food. So frozen veggies are a big one for me as well. Um, yeah, and a good knife and a good knife sharpener. I'm telling you, scissors, life changer. I use you scissors. Know. Oh, like, no. like, like, um, so as an example, so I have kitchen scissors. Um, and so we just had risotto for dinner with, um, with chicken and we just cut up the chicken with the scissors. Right. Okay. So, so like, it's great for any kind of bowl, you know, ground beef or any kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll have sirloin sitting in the fridge. And so we'll make a bowl with like mashed potatoes or something of this nature. Right. So for mine, um, one, probably the best source of fiber that I can think of are beans. Um, you also get a little bit of protein, but, but man, they are powerhouse for fiber. So like we typically do have black beans and um, in general, like, a lot of people overrate vegetables for fiber. Um, they're not always as good as, as you think they are. And they certainly are, I'm gonna say typically, 97% of the time, they're never as good as beans. <laughs> um, beans beans are just packed with fiber, most beans at least. Um, so I'm gonna go a little different way. So some of us struggle getting in fiber. Part of the reason why is so like if, if we're talking about having that these huge burns, so a, a great example would be somebody that is a, a marathoner or long endurance or really putting in a lot of work, you know, on the pickleball courts or something for hours a day. Um, you can then have a lot more flexibility. So now all of a sudden 
pastas are in play. You're going to have more rice. You're going to have a lot of these types of dishes. Um, and so sometimes, you know, those aren't always great for vegetables. And so I like to have a little insurance there. And the insurance that I have is psyllium husk, right? It's basically what Metamucil is. But here's the interesting part. So, so fiber is a prebiotic, right? So a lot of people talk about probiotics and gut health and things of this nature, but don't talk about prebiotics. Well, one of the secrets that I use and my wife uses um, is we'll take psyllium husks that we get from, from Amazon, um, just cheaper than Metamucil, and then we will, we will drink that with kefir. And so um, the, basically what, what the fiber does is it kind of feeds the probiotic, right? The probiotic becomes much more useful the more fiber you have. So if I'm having a day where I'm low in fiber or something of this nature, now all of a sudden, maybe I might have two servings of psyllium husk, right? Um, just a really good way to sort of think, and especially if you're taking probiotics, um, it just, it just, amplifies your probiotics. Okay, so I'm hoping to finish this in seven minutes, but this is something that I heard a long time ago. And at the time, I think I was a little bit, um, no, that's not how it really works. And, you know, there's so many things that I look back on um, that I believed, right, that I've changed my mind on, and this is one. A lot of times, so I'm gonna give a specific example because I think sometimes giving a specific example is helpful, right? It get, brings context to the discussion. So for this discussion, I'm gonna talk about a five, 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 six woman, right? And I'm gonna have her at 190 pounds, right? And it's gonna be very similar to the situation um, that Susan talked about earlier, um, Susan, the client, not Susan Kleiner, um, is you lose weight, right? Five, six, 160. Um, there's CrossFit Games athletes that are five, six, 160 with abs, right? So it's very possible to be super lean, uh, five, six, 160. Um, if you're less active, right? that number might get as low as 140. So here's, I'm, I'm gonna talk about three different scenarios, but I'm talking I'm talking about someone that was 190, have lost 30 pounds, right? And now they get to that 160 place, they're 30 pounds less, they're more active, and they can maintain that weight within a couple pounds, no big deal, right? They're more active now, They've got a good routine, good habits. You know, a lot of times we'll see people that go from fat loss one, fat loss two, then they bring more food in and they don't let those habits transfer over, right? Because it's easy to stay focused when you're just eating less, right? But when it comes to eating more, now all of a sudden those vegetables that are frozen are a little less appealing 
right? Jimmy Jones starts to sneak in every now and again, right? Which all those things can fit in and can be fine, but then you start to lose those, those, those good habits that you built on kind of get taken over by bad habits, right? So now just because some elite athletes have abs at 160 does not mean that's everybody's scenario, right? So now you've lost 30 pounds, you're doing the eat reform thing. And let's just say within six months, you decide I'm going to go for better physique, right? And so going for a better physique at that point, now one, you've kind of shortcut the process a little bit, right? Um, so maybe in that process of losing, you know, 30 pounds, you go to 165, but now you want to get to, to 140, right? And it might be possible. Um, and certainly something that, you know, if you got down to 160 and, you know, within six months, you're five pounds heavier, it would be something that would bother some people, right? I know it, it, it bothered me when I lost a lot of weight and kind of, I had to be more strategic about it. Luckily I was having a lot of help and that's all what became me to perform. And we've been able to get a lot of you help, right? So the person that's 165, you know, if they want to lose 20 pounds, they're going to be in a better position if they waited a year, right? After six months, realistically you're probably closing your window a lot and so it's probably going to be 10 to 15 pounds and not 20 pounds so that's something to think about um as you're trying to determine what your bigger plan is because let's be real here five six one sixty you're not unhealthy you're not obese you're you know there's a lot of favorable things going on there you're just doing it because you want to do that and there's no rule against that we're not against that in any way, shape, or form. But what I will say is that as you do those things and you try to maintain these weights, what often ends up happening is you, if your dieting cycles are too close to each other, you sort of rinse and repeat, right? So now all of a sudden you got down to 160, 160, you know, you, you gain a few pounds, that's natural, right? Five pounds, um, normal, right? Um, when you've lost that much weight, but now all of a sudden you want to do another one and let's just, let's just go out and say, let's just say you lost 15 pounds in that scenario. If you lose 15 pounds in, in that scenario, the one thing that you have to consider is whether or not it's easy to maintain that weight. And it's going to more often than not be a lot harder than it would have been at 160, right? Because at 160, if you go to 165, you do sort of know that, hey, you know, maybe it's a little too much Jimmy John's, maybe it's a little bit too much, you know, wine on the weekends and you can tighten things up and get back to 160. Now, once you start to get to that place where, you're looking at being optimally lean in that 140 range and things of this nature, what you're going to have to do is drastically increase your activity one way or the other. 
one of the caveats that I would make there is that at 160, you're going to be much more likely to have enough food to potentially build enough muscle. And that's why I talk about the CrossFit Games athletes. You have that potential, but you also have that potential at 160 to then make weight loss easier, right? So if we, if we don't do a cut every three to six months, now all of a sudden what we've been able to do is expand our window in that regard, right? And because we've expanded that window, now all of a sudden instead of losing 10 pounds, you can potentially lose 20 pounds. And now at 140, 145 you know, to 150, you're seeing abdominal uh, muscles. You're seeing kind of the veins in your arms and, and, and things of this nature. Then, so, so you have two factors, right? So you have the, the you know, um, is it, does it make sense to stay at maybe this little uncomfortable place for a little bit longer to make that next phase easier, right? Um, the other thing is, are you a person that can put in more work in the gym? more work on the track, whatever it is that you like, right? Uh, those are both factors that can be favorable in terms of weight loss over time, right? And also fat loss over time. But what we need to understand is that 160, you might have a better mental relationship with food. And at 140 to 145, now you're starting to cross that line where you might not be able to do it. Doesn't mean you can't, right? But it, it might get tougher. So now all of a sudden you get to 145. Now you look at it and you go, okay, now I really want to go gung-ho. And if I can get to 120, 125, now I can really start to see those abs and things of this nature. The problem that you run through in that scenario is that you almost certainly will be dieting most of the time, right? At least 50% of the time. So every three months, you're kind of in this phase where, you know, you want to maintain what you've worked towards and, and all these things. And you see this a lot with bodybuilder physique types, right? Where, you know, once they got to the place that they wanted to go, they don't allow for the mentality that that gives them a better relationship with food. So they're they're always dieting, right? And they're always in a cutting and bulking cycle. And when they're in a bulking cycle, that doesn't go near as long as the cutting cycle. And so it's just like a prison of their own creation, right? So now I understand that this might be hard to juxtapose this to your situation because maybe you're, you're 153 and 205, right? Um, and maybe you've been dieting for a very long time and you can't lose that initial 35 pounds that we were talking about, right? The challenge I would put out to everyone is what is most likely to make you happy? Because I think that a lot of us 
get in our head that if we're 205 and you know we get to 150 we would be happy but what i can tell you that is much more common and and i would think that carolyn and becky would agree with this what we see is that the 160 pound person tends to be the happiest right because they're able to maintain weight loss without extreme sacrifice in the gym or and 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 that leads to more frustration right and so if the person can get to a relative degree of happiness now we all know that there's a lot of factors and we're certainly not psychologists so we're not going to suggest to you that we have the answer that if you just get to 160 you're going to be happy i think at 190 if you start off happy you'll actually get you'll you'll get you'll go farther right but i think that the people that go from 190 and eventually go to 120 this is just from what we see doesn't mean there aren't outliers right but more often than not they would have been happier at 140 160 because you know let's make the case for 140 so here's a great example of 140 someone was 190 and they weren't particularly active and now all of a sudden you know they become a marathoner and so so they find that their joy happens with marathoning and because of marathoning they're able to stay 140 relatively easily that person is more often than not going to enjoy their experience and then if they go to well won't my running be easier if i'm 120 there's a lot of evidence that it's not right because you're going to lose muscle your tendons when you're under eating more often than not um, a lot of the times what you'll see the recommendation that we give people is that if they're runners they're better off dieting out of season right and so the problem that you run into is that if it's in season and your weight went up five to ten pounds and now all of a sudden you're you're trying to run a cutting cycle you're a little bit more prone to be injury doesn't mean that you will necessarily but you're taking more from the well than you're giving and so i know this is a weird position because people think of us as the dieting company and and we think of us as the dieting company right but we but 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 dieting is about 20% of what we do the other 80% is where the real work gets done and many of you are very comfortable with lower calories you're very comfortable with sacrifice for whatever reason a lot of us have you know these these mental issues that we need to work through with this process and and you know this this idea of working towards happy you know for a lot of us not me particularly but but some people um a lot of women in this example um from 16 have been told or thought that if they got to a certain weight that they would be happy right and happiness often happens differently but when you're thinking about setting these goals, you're talking to your coach about setting these goals, I want you to think about the sacrifice. And, and 
if you can not glorify the sacrifice, that would be better. Because what I think happens is, is so so we're talking about the 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 160 scenario that's real relatively easy to maintain. Then there's the 140 scenario. Well, what happens when you stop ultra marathon? Right? Now you go back to 160. And the question is, can you mentally get to that place? Because I mean, you know, ultra marathoning is not a is not an old person's game. You know, at 60 or 70, you're gonna have to realize that that there's gonna be some some uh, you know, weight gain um, that often does correspond with a little bit of muscle, ironically, but, but you know, the potential for injury when you're active is big. And so, you know, just because you were 140 when you were extremely active doesn't mean that 160 is unhealthy, right? And certainly shouldn't affect your happiness. If it is, you know, um, you might want to analyze or get some some help analyzing why why you equate those two things, right? And so so I'm okay wherever you want to be in that range, right? If you want to be at 190, right? And 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 like I said, start happy there, and then you get to 175 and you go, you know what? Kind of feeling myself here. You know, I'm going to the gym. I'm squatting 225, 250. There's no reason to not change your goal in that instance, even if your goal was, you know, 120, 140. You know, if you're feeling good at 175, allow yourself to feel that way, you know. And because at the end of the day, you know, the most attractive thing on the planet is confidence and, and being happy, right? Being someone that's a joy. Like when, you know, what my wife, was talking a little bit about when we first started playing pickleball that, you know, a lot of it was trying to get too competitive, too fast. And, you know, um, in a weird way, like I went out to California for the summer to kind of live there for about six weeks or so. Um, and it was like a, a, a change in me personally, um, where it was like, I might get better eventually, but who I'd rather be is the guy that goes, man, nice shot, you know, or wow, that was a lot of fun playing with you. That's who I want to be as a person, right? And I think what happens is we set these goals or, or we want to be, you know, we want to be in a place that we haven't really earned yet, right? I was thinking about this the other day, you know, and we can sort of end on this point, is that, I like motivation videos as much as the next guy, right? And I'll I'll spend some days looking at the old favorites and getting hyped up or or whatever. But when I was working to to deadlift 500 pounds, um, and got and hit that goal, um, and then competed and and hit some big goals in competition, those motivation videos did nothing for me. The only thing that did anything for me was that preparation each night and eating my food and getting my sleep in and, and all these things. And what I think happens as we go through this process as we're trying to teach you to slow things down, make happiness be the big piece of what you're trying to accomplish and, and you know do things that you enjoy. I loved weightlifting when I was weightlifting, but I don't love it as much as I love pickleball now. And so I'm going to ride 
the thing that brings me joy much farther. It'll just take you farther when you're doing things that you like than if you're doing things that don't make you near as happy or maybe you know seem like a little bit too much sacrifice in that moment, right? And so do I lift weights? I still do, you know, not near as much. I'm, I'm probably only lifting once a week right now, but I'd like to get that to about two, not because it makes me as happy as the other thing, but I also need to add in a little bit more rest. So I'm not kind of beating the shit out of my body. Um, and so the weightlifting can sort of fit a role in that. But I just really think that a lot of people want to get hyped up, you know, and, 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 and they want to get hyped up and motivated to do things that they don't like because they believe sacrifice and struggle needs to be a big piece. And like I said, at least a big part of, uh, at least a part of what we do, you know, 20% of it, I would consider dieting. And, you know, let's be real. Somebody takes away your food, that's sacrifice and that's struggle. We're not shying away from that. But you shouldn't do that your whole life. You shouldn't build up your whole life needing hype, you know, to, to, to succeed, you know? Um, and, and the one example that I saw, there was a podcast recently where a person was talking about how they had to hype themselves up, you know, just to, to play a game um, that they were being co compensated for greatly. Right. But what he was saying was, is that, it was his lack of preparation that made him get hyped up all the time. And so I think as you look at it and you're trying to think of things, let's look at the whole picture. Let's not look at, you know, and if you know what the whole picture is, if you know that at 160, you can sustain your weight. At 140, it's gonna be a little bit more difficult. At 120, you're talking about being in sacrifice and struggle. And then you gotta wonder, What's that going to do for my mental health? What's that going to do for my relationships in life? What's that going to do for going to book club, you know, and being the one that can't drink the wine because, you know, you have the optimal physique, right? At that point, optimal physique is probably taking more from your life than it's giving. And I'll just be honest with you, you know, when you get to that place and you're looking for optimal physique, you know, I, I can safely say I have the pictures that showed that, you know, at one point in my life, I had an optimal physique. And I'm very, very lucky that I got away from that because most people don't and they can't recover from seeing veiny abs and they can't recover from, you know, having that burden. And what I think we're trying to teach you is to have both a healthy relationship with food, healthy relationship with yourself, but also kind of exposing to you that these do come with risks, right? And there is a large mental component to dieting. And when we look at what the lifetime of dieting looks like, this is why we sell lifetime as a product, right? Because we want to be able to help you reach all your goals but we also want to be able to protect you from yourself at times, right? We've all know what it's like or, or have heard the horror stories, you know, where people are looking for optimal physique and sacrifice that and then end up getting divorced or end up, you know, um, having their personal life kind of unravel 
because their life is out of balance. There's too much focus on this side of things and not so much focus on, you know, just like a, a whole life, right? So um, hopefully that helps people. I think it's it's really helpful as we're looking into January and we're all kind of trying to reset, you know, 2022. One of the things that for 2022, one of the things that I hate that's out there, you know, around this time of year is that people fail at um, New Year's resolutions. Well, if you're looking at me right now, you're looking at someone that succeeded. But I had to fail a few times before I succeeded. And failure is simply information, right? And if you can use that failure and use it as information, you can then, as long as you have a good relationship with yourself, you can then use that information to then succeed, right? Almost no one, you know, you hear all these stories of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg dropping out of Harvard, you know, my most successful venture by far, it's not even close, is Eat the Perform. I started Eat the Perform when I was 39, or well, I started the process of Eat the Perform, but Eat the Perform itself at 43, right? Um, and that is actually when most CEOs have the most success. They put together all the failures up until that point, but you don't hear about us. You don't hear about the 43-year-old CEO that finally figures it out. And I would argue that you know, it probably took me about four to five years within even form to really figure out the formula that made sense for us going forward, right? And so, so try not to put so much pressure on yourself to succeed because even in the process of failing, I existed. I, I, you know, I was really successful at a lot of things in my life, just not to the level that this is, right? And so if you can have a good mindset and a good perspective on, you know, kind of taking all the small successes along the way, I think it'll make a really big difference. And I think it'll be something that will, will allow you to age gracefully, both personally, but also in the nutrition and fitness world. So hopefully that's helpful. And I appreciate everybody being here and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye now.